0: To the ball game Take me Out to the ball Game (laughs) Hey Craig you took me Out to the the batting cages Yesterday (laughs) And My arms and half my butt still hurt. Yeah, yet that's you used your butts
1: your I bat swinging
0: butt. My baseball muscles. Your baseball which muscles. Which is your the front half of both arms and part of my butt.
1: Yep. When you you can see it when you watch closely when you're watching baseball, you can if see those, like a heat map, yeah. Those three muscles being engaged. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig.
0: My name's Andrew, and that's why every baseball player has a weird half butt. They
1: do well we do. i think that that is why most baseball players have pronounced butts and then uh-huh. they probably do some other butt exercises so that's sitting... you don't want to lopsided butt. because yeah. i
0: bet a bunch of rookies like they're they're kind of sitting diagonally for a little bit while yeah. their butt muscles get built up you gotta get ready for the big leagues you, you know? gotta get ready for those big league butts <laughs> you hit a couple dingers you i should be proud of your half butt my the bat at several points during my allotted during your three, tenure, my three batches of sixteen pitches, <laughs> my my bat did hit the ball several times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was not counting, so I couldn't tell you what my average was. Sure, it was not good,
1: but it's greater than z- zero. It wasn't nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: That's true. Mm-hmm. We had a good time. That was a surprise little trip I took you on. We were not expecting to do that. No, Susanna is convinced that you planned it the whole time, but it's actually I don't I don't think that's how it went. We
1: were just a few blocks from there. Uh, But speaking of knocking one out of the park, we're going to do a podcast (laughs) for y'all. We're going to hit a home run with this week's book Nosferatu Nos 4A2.
0: I think it's just pronounced Nosferatu.
1: Well, it's spelled N O S 4A2 by Joe Hill.
0: And why why I think it's pronounced no, Nosferatu is that they they did change the name to Nosferatu in the UK, I think to account for differences in how that word would be pronounced over there. Oh, like, weird. hey, Govna, you read that Nosferatu?
1: <laughs> That's not real. I don't, you and, made all that up. I uh, believe you.
0: <laughs> no, it's it's a real fact. Really? They did change it. Yeah.
1: Oh. Okay. Don't
0: let my accent, the the <laughs> fakeness of and badness of my accent, <laughs> color your perception of my true fact. Okay.
1: Well, this uh, book by Joe Hill was recommended to us by Patreon donor Cindy. Uh, thank you for your longstanding support. support. Took us a while to get to this big hunkin' brick of a book.
0: It's a big. It's like one of those big baseball butt books. A,
1: yeah. If you swing this
0: book, you're gonna hit a home run. Um, Andrew, who is Joe Hill? Joe Hill. Oh, this guy—he was born in 1972, and his real name, his full name, is Joe Hillstrom King. Mm. You might remember that name from this guy, Stephen King, oh. or his mom, Tabitha King, because they're both authors. But uh, Stephen King is—is is his dad? Yeah. And yeah, he's that guy, Stephen King, who writes about evil clocks and clowns and horror fiction. Okay. And is basically the dad of every horror writer. But he's literally <laughs> she, Joe Hill's
1: dad. He's had a lot of literary kids and also I think
0: two And also actual two literal kids. children named Joe Joe and Owen King, but uh who are both jo, published authors. Yeah, Joe Hill, who is who was named for the Swedish American uh labor advocate who's like a songwriter and cartoonist. Yes, the wobbly um in yep. the in the early nineteen hundreds. Um Joe Hill, he he wrote under a pseudonym, I think, partly because he didn't want to be, like, he he didn't want to be written off as a beneficiary of nepotism. Though, of, if, if your dad is like in publishing to the extent that Stephen King is, I gotta think that those those connections helped you at some point. But he also didn't want to draw direct comparisons with his dad right away. So his, um. His first novel came out in 2007 but he'd been writing for a while before that and his identity as the as Joe King son of Stephen King did not become public until 2007.
1: Yeah, like Variety so. broke it as a story which just seems wild to me that like a magazine <laughs> would reveal the to the world who you are. It's like Batman what, or Banksy or something. It's about the
0: truth, man. Yeah. Have you ever seen a movie about journalism? Is that
1: what The Post was about? They yeah. figured out who Banksy was? Uh-huh. I can't wait to see that
0: one. That's um, The Post too. That's due uh, out, I think, <laughs> in 2020. Yeah. The first one's about Watergate, and the second one's about Banksy. <laughs> it's,
1: it's good. I buy that. Uh-huh. Uh, I do it's think... still Tom
0: Hanks. Still yep. Tom Hanks. Weird. And, and this one, Tom Hanks plays all the parts. <laughs> Like in Polar Express, but really it's just him and a bunch of winks. Do we think
1: we find out at the end that Banksy actually is just Tom Hanks?
0: And then he turns to the camera and he winks, and then credits. And then the film self-destructs. I'm sorry to spoil this whole movie. Um, so Joe King, he writes novels, short stories, and comic books. His his main comic book claim to fame is the series called Lock. L-O-C-K-E and Key. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sounds like a detective duo, but I think it's like time travel, supernatural, something, something. I didn't read a lot about it, but I, I believe it has been adapted <laughs> for television and it is well regarded. It is well sound, regarded.
1: Right. Yes. Uh, his first full length novel was Heart Shaped Box. He had another novel called Horns, which I think got made into a movie. Yeah, in 2014. With Harry Potter in it.
0: Hook em horns.
1: Um horns. That's what the reviews all say. Good. This book was published in 2013 and is being developed into an AMC show starring Zachary
0: Quinto, Save the Cheerleader, Save the World. Zachary and, Quinto. Uh, and then uh, the, fireman the Fireman came out in 2016. That was his first to debut at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Yes. I think all of his books have steadily done better, but now he's like a bona fide... Super author, Sure. <laughs> that's what they call him when you get to number one. Is right? it? Is that what they um, call him? The other interesting claim to fame that he has is he appeared in a in a George Romero movie that his dad had written called Creepshow okay. as a nine year old. Oh God! So that's fun. That sounds nightmarish. Mm-hmm. That's basically what I know about him. Yeah, that's There's not a lot to know. Except he does. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, okay. 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 He has a beard. Sure. In many of the photos of him that exist. Mhm. And it's just it's very thick. Yeah. And this is a question for Joe Hill, but also maybe for you and sure. everybody out there with a thick beard like why should I trust you?
1: Oh, that's a good because question. Because
0: what do you have to hide under there?
1: Yes, that's a good question.
0: And this has nothing to do with my utter inability to grow a beard whether I wanted to or not. Yes. But I just I inherently find people with big bushy beards distrustful because they seem like they have secrets like they're keeping their chin a secret from me
1: well we do all have secrets that's true and we Mm -hmm. do tattoo most of them on our face right where the beard goes oh Um, like
0: that uh like in in olden times when you had to send a secret message you tattooed it on someone's head and you had them grow their hair out yes that's real that happened oh gosh yeah i've never heard of that, <laughs> yes.
1: yeah, it that it's terrifying yes we all do that actually. real they mm-hmm. teach us that in beard school um which is actually <laughs> beard really beard a pr- it's a prison and the only way to get out is to tattoo secrets on your face and grow a beard and then mm-hmm. you go out into the world so yeah you, you shouldn't shave trust us again it's yeah. um and his beard is something fierce though it is uh it's thicker than what I could ever grow and it ironically makes him look, look more like Stephen King
0: <laughs> which I didn't He has, think. he has one of those it's so thick it's it's one of those faces that you can't not grow a beard on. Like you gotta, yes. you just kind of give your face up to the beard at a certain point.
1: There is a photo. It's like
0: of... the Santa Claus when he's trying to shave his beard off and it keeps growing back in the in the mirror before he can even. Blink.
1: Yes, there's a photo of him from Comic Con in 2014 without a full beard that I imagine was taken with like one of those super fast, like hummingbird cameras. 'Cause he probably had <laughs> shaved it off and it was like right before it grew back completely. This is like
0: Joe Hill's kind of five o'clock shadow yes, situation. Yes. Yeah. Um
1: so yeah, we will probably end up talking a lot about him vis-a-vis Stephen King fiction because as a lot of the reviews and interviews around this book point out, it it does draw some direct comparisons.
0: Yeah, like he's he is inviting those comparisons, especially like I, I haven't read any of his any of his stuff, but based on an interview f- with him from around when this book came out, um, this was his first book where he was really making those links explicit and inviting the comparisons, both implicitly by like the structure and the length of the book mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. way it tells a story, and explicitly by referencing like Pennywise the Clown. <laughs> yeah. You just make some references, why not? Yeah, just drop it. Drop, drop one of those in there.
1: Uh, let's drop a quick ad break in here, Andrew, and then we'll talk about the book.
0: Sounds good. People with beards all have something to hide. Yep. And I don't have a beard, so I just can't hide how much I love my quip toothbrush. Really? Tell me more. <laughs> Okay, Quip is one of our sponsors this week. Um, They make a better electric toothbrush that's created by dentists and designers, and it was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. So here's the deal with Quip. It has these sensitive sonic vibrations that are gentle on sensitive gums because people brush too hard and electric toothbrushes can be too abrasive. It has a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides. It's got a multi-use cover that mounts to your mirror while you're at home and unmounts so you can stick it over the top of that guy when you go traveling. And uh, they can also deliver you new brush heads. Listen, whom among us has not had an electric toothbrush head? that we've used until it's literally disintegrated in our mouth. <laughs> this doesn't happen with Quip because they deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Here's one reason why I love Quip is I went to the dentist recently, uh-huh. right? And you know how all dentists all the time are yelling at you? They're No matter how good your teeth look. <laughs> if they're not yelling,
1: they're judging.
0: Right. But not only did I not have any cavities, but my dentist didn't say anything bad about my mouth <laughs> this time okay. and i attribute that to my quip toothbrush <laughs> so that's why i love quip and why they're backed by over twenty thousand dental professionals quip starts at just 25 dollars, and if you go to get quip.com overdue you get your first refill pack for free with a quip electric toothbrush that's a five dollar value your first refill pack free at dot com slash overdue go there today brush up your teeth. Craig, tell me more about Joe Hill and Nosferatu. So this, why is this book all in leet speak? Why is it called with the numbers?
1: Okay, so the first thing you need to know, um, the cover of the book, almost any edition that I've seen has like a license plate cover on it or a Mm -hmm. car or something. Mm -hmm. So it is in the original leet speak, which is vanity plates. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. and it so in this one dracula
0: has a car i guess
1: sort of yes sweet car there there is a reading of this book so it invites a direct comparison to dracula and the 1922 film nosferatu because those things are like directly referenced Mm -hmm. um i don't remember dracula too well from that time you read it for the show like four years ago Li- but.
0: Well, that's okay, because I don't either. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, I was reading I I don't a- remember Dracula having a car. No, I don't think so either. Because I don't think cars existed yet. I don't even think he had a cool like horse and carriage. He probably drawn didn't. Drawn by like the skeleton dinosaur monster horses from Harry Potter. He probably
1: didn't need one, because he's just a bat man. Get it? He's not a bat <laughs> All
0: right, so tell me, what is this? Dracula has a sweet
1: ride- So Dracula in this book is not actually Dracula. His name—he's a creepy man named Charles Talent Manx the Third. And the book isn't.
0: (laughs) That's not anybody's name. The
1: book opens, I think, in like
0: 2008 or present day or something like that. Um, Is it close enough to present present day that it makes no difference? Like, is the is the time period not intended to be important? I am tr- in the way that like setting something in the '80s in 2013 would feel like a purposeful choice. Well,
1: there is some. Th- well, so I was making that distinction because the book does jump back to 1986 pretty quickly. Oh, gotcha. um, But I I just couldn't remember if the beginning of the book had a specific year. I don't think it does. So um, creepy Charles Talent Manx the uh, third, Charlie Manx affectionately from his friends. Um, he is an old man who is in some sort of care facility because he's in a coma. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a convicted murderer and and while a woman is changing his blood bags, I guess, because uh, he's anemic, it's unclear. Um, he like wakes up, okay, and grabs her arm and tells her that her boy Josiah has a place in Christmasland with the other children. I could give him a new life, Charlie Manx says. I could give him a nice new smile. I could give him nice new teeth. And ch- and then he goes back to sleep, and she's freaking out because he's supposed to be basically brain dead, as he's been for five years or so. And
0: also, that's just a lot to lay on somebody um, all of a sudden, yep, right? yep uh-huh christmas land this isn't i wasn't even expecting christmas to be a part of this
1: i well so that's the thing that i think hill does pretty well is he will lay out these really big like tentpole ideas and you're like how is that gonna work and then he'll, like come back around later um in this instance christmas land becomes a, a core part of the book but there are other devices that he like introduces and then they wrap around like a hundred pages later.
0: Yeah, you would you would expect them to be more interested in Halloween Town because I I just assume because Christmas Land is the thing that this takes place in the Nightmare Before Christmas verse.
1: There is will when we get to what Christmas Land is. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas is not a bad touchstone in in some ways. Okay, um, so that's just like the opening salvo. We get a little like before the the credit sequence scene of mr manx like doing his manx thing and then he goes back to sleep and and no one thinks anything of any of the wiser we jump back to 1986 and we meet our protagonist uh victoria mcqueen uh aka vic aka the brat who is an eight-year-old girl living in massachusetts i think um she spent
0: some time in new hampshire uh and it's just important it's important for the Stephen King yes <laughs> that it be somewhere in like the northwest or northeastern united states correct
1: correct um and the first sentence so hill has a lot of like really good like let me kick this off uh sentences the brat was 8 years old the first time she rode over the covered bridge that crossed the distance between lost and found and you're like i don't know what any of that means but i would like to know more please um he does that pretty pretty frequently throughout the book um and her like parents are arguing a bunch they're specifically arguing over like her mom has lost a bracelet her dad is uh implying that she got too drunk and lost it and she's implying that maybe it's because he's like sleeping like stepping out on her and so they
0: seem like one that they have a really good solid relationship yeah. and two they're both singularly focused on the task of child rearing correct correct (laughs) and
1: she she seems at this point you don't know much else about her and you're like okay how is she handling this she seems to be closer to her dad than to her mom um her dad says something along the lines of like what an ugly person you are inside and i had a kid with you which is just like oh gosh oh no yes and so she goes full on like kid movie kind of freak out like i gotta get my bike and get out of here and she grabs her her raleigh tough burner bicycle um tough and this spelled is an,
0: t-u-f-f of course and then she rides off and meets somebody who changes her life forever sort of okay she
1: rides her way to what is called the shorter way bridge that goes over the merrimack river it's this dilapidated bridge that is 70 years old it's fallen apart you're not supposed to go on it there's a chain link fence in front of it and she's just like i gotta get out of here i'm freaking out i'm gonna go i'm gonna ride my bike across the bridge and she's thinking that she's like in her brain she's wishing that she could find this bracelet and like diffuse this argument and she's like really just willing that that was real sure um because this takes place in the real world, she's also like, what if I was Knight Rider and we we're like trying to get a microchip? Because she's an <laughs> eight-year-old in a world where Knight Rider exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and she winds up going through this creepy, bat-filled bridge. And all of a sudden, on the other side, instead of being on the other side of the river, she is in an alley in the town near where the where they were at the lake up in New Hampshire, which is 45 minutes away. Wait, is it a covered bridge? It is a covered
0: bridge. Okay, I just wonder about the bat thing. Yes. All right. I know Um, this is not important. No, no. Well, there's like bats. Well, bats are the mine. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is important. Um, and she like can't see
1: the outside of the bridge when she's in it. So when she comes out the other side, and she's actually an hour away from home, and she has a weird headache, and she wanders into this restaurant, and the dude at the counter recognizes her and is like, "Hey, oh, hey, yeah, your mom left this bracelet here," and she turns she gets the bracelet and goes back around and the bridge is literally like crammed into the alley in like a kind of timey wimey diagon alley type yes. situation all right except to kind of look at it makes you kind of sick and queasy cuz it doesn't make sense sort of way um and so she learns that by riding her bike over this bridge she can find things that have been lost if she like thinks really hard she can go to the location where they are um, her dad tells her, of course, D- don't you remember that I, as part of my job, I blew up that bridge a couple years ago? So she did a pretty bad job. Well, Love no. Because <laughs> she can basically bring the bridge into existence by sheer force of will. So see. it's like a, it's not magic. And that's an interesting Way to think about this book that does invite some Stephen King comparisons, but also is, like, kind of just a horror thing where there's not, like, she's not a magical kid. She has this, like, totem. She has a bike that allows her to kind of change the universe in a in a way that is mostly plot convenient. Um, there's never a section of the book where anybody who's doing this kind of stuff is just, like, doing it for fun, you know? Right. Um, and over time she's using this more and more and one point she like scares a janitor at her school um, and he like falls off the wagon and his life is ruined and she feels really guilty about it because he saw
0: saw (laughs) the bridge in his hallway. Think about that. Okay, so other people can see the the bridge. Yes, also. correct. Can other people like use the bridge? Yes. Or does that become a thing later? Okay. Um,
1: it be- only one or two people use it other than her, but it's like a pretty big moment later. Um, so, is this,
0: like, is this is is this a Stephen King thing where this kid befriends a bunch of other kids, and then there's this band of kids, and then 30 years later they all have to get back together and no, do actually, something? Pre- okay, she's she's a loner. Um, so I've got I've got some. King hallmarks yeah. that we can we can explore, but yeah, I, I feel like the the like it slash Steven Spielberg slash yep. style like band of kids thing is is a hallmark of some of Stephen King's
1: uh, Yeah, and what I think um Hill does instead is focus it more tightly on Vic. In general, I think the cast of characters is smaller than your average king tome and usually he is uh he is doing that to like when his when his casts are pretty big it's because he's like showing how a community relates to itself Uh when we read bag of bones i think that was actually kind of a a Lighter cast of characters because it was mostly around that author the whole time.
0: A little bit, yeah, and the the remoteness of of the location that he eventually ended up in after he was done complaining about the publishing industry (laughs) was (laughs) part of the point of the book.
1: Um, but so we're mostly following Vic for a good section of the of the front half of this book, and this young young Vic, like still in the
0: eighties. Okay,
1: um, it jumps ahead to like nineteen ninety one. Um, And I'll tell you in a second what happens in that time jump,
0: because we do spend a little time there. Well, Nirvana's Um, album, their landmark album, Nevermind, I think, came out. Really? And it just totally beat Michael Jackson, (laughs) and it ushered in the era of 90s alternative. I thought that was 1993
1: when the 80s really ended.
0: No, well, it was 91 when that album came out. I don't know when, I don't know why the 80s would have ended in 1993, but... I think it was when we all started listening to grunge, but maybe that was 1991, I could be wrong. it was 1991,
1: you are wrong. (laughs) Okay, cool. Okay, so everyone's listening to Nirvana, it's 1991. Yes, and she is like, oh man, I almost killed this janitor by showing up in my magic bridge, Mm -hmm. I gotta go to someone who can tell me how this works, and that's what she thinks of in her head when she goes across the bridge. She ends up in Iowa... Uh, out and meets a librarian named Margaret, Andrew. I have no comment. I have no comment. And (laughs) uh, this librarian named Margaret has like magic Scrabble tiles. She's like a competitive Scrabble player and um, she has like a magic bag of holding that at one point she reaches her whole arm into to get all the tiles
0: she needs. Kind of a Mary Poppins Scrabble bag. Sort of, sort of.
1: Her, She also like has a, a pretty bad stammer and stutter that she attributes to like the mental toll using this psychic ability takes on her. Sure, that I mean that
0: makes sense. Yeah, of
1: course. Um, and she can pull the tiles out and use them to like predict the future. So she knew that Vic was coming. She uh, can't do proper names, Andrew, cause
0: Scrabble. Uh, oh, is it beholden to the Scrabble rules? Yeah, which is cool. <laughs> Can you challenge her? <laughs> I don't think And if so. you fail the challenge, like you die. <laughs> like, she doesn't always does work.
1: She doesn't always know what the words are going to be because, like, there's a section where it's just the letters come out and she has to like put them in the right order. It's like reading mm-hmm. tea leaves. Um, but that's why uh, Vic having the nickname the brat, which the da- which her dad gives her, is like useful because Maggie saw, like, the brat is coming or something in her Scrabble letters. She would see that, and
0: you would wonder, like, oh, are we going to have a good cookout? Going to get some brats?
1: <laughs> the tasty sausages coming mm-hmm. through this cover bridge. Um, and she kind of explains what she knows about the magic of this universe, which is that people that are called, as the book calls them, strong creatives... Um, Same. ...can... Uh, use a knife or whatever, like Scrabble tiles, your bike, whatever, to cut the stitches between the two worlds. And the two worlds are the real world, which sucks because it's the nineties. Mm-hmm. Reality right. bites, and uh the world that everyone lives inside their own head—a um, thing that the book calls an inscape or a world of thought, where every idea is a fact. And so these like Silicon s- Valley, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was doing a little bit of research. Apparently, there's a like chapter in this book where he just drops a poem by this dude named Gerard Manley Hopkins, which is the most 19th century <laughs> English poet name I've ever heard. Um, and he More apparently people should
0: be ma- named Manley now. <laughs> That's true. More bring, people. Bring Manley back. Bring Manley back. Name. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he wrote a bunch of poetry that was about this idea of each person and each thing having like a singular essence. And he used the word inscape a bunch so, like, that's sort of where Hill is getting this idea. So, someone else has an inscape, Andrew, and that is our good friend Charles Talent Manx Third, driver of the Rolls-Royce Wraith, which is a 1938 car that only, like, 500 of them exist. Mm-hmm. And it has
0: the license plate Nosferatu. Okay. It's a little, uh... Should be traveling maybe incognito if you're going to be Dracula in yeah, in modern times, it's, but it's sure.
1: Some sort of magic car that eats away at his humanity, and the way that he makes up for it is by sapping the life out of children that he kidnaps and takes to his mental pocket universe, which he calls Christmasland. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: that's uh, that's how Teslas work. <laughs>
1: God, I hate the Green New Deal. (laughs) I hate the energy revolution. Um, What he is doing, or what he tells himself that he is doing, is that he is taking these kids to a land where they can be happy forever and never feel pain or sorrow or sadness. He takes them to a land where every day is Christmas. Mm -hmm. They can have all the sweets they want and play in Mm -hmm. the snow. Um, Turkish
0: delight, I assume. Yes,
1: yes. Um, and also, all their teeth fall out, and they grow back little creepy fishhook teeth, um, and they like basically turn into little vampire monsters mm-hmm. that are still children, but are really into killing. Even though they live inside of his dreams,
0: I mean, do they? Do, I mean, do they grow up after that? I don't know. I feel like I'm getting too in the weeds. No, and no, this is good. To like, this is such a long book that we need to try and blow through the plot stuff so we can talk about the thematic stuff, but. Two okay, so here they don't grow up because he wants them to stay children forever. Right. Um and is that does does it feels like time kind of stops because it's always Christmas, maybe?
1: Oh yeah, they're just in this magical world that is in his head. He has full okay. control over this universe. All right. Um
0: and they have ceased to exist in the real world. Yes. Yeah, so the okay.
1: the chapters that I kind of skipped over are he recruits this guy named Bing Partridge. Hey, Bing. <laughs> um, who we who is like, okay, Minx and <laughs> Minks Manx. Manx and Bing um have <laughs> problems This
0: is my favorite lawyer show <laughs> Manx and on Bing on TBS Superstation. <laughs>
1: Um, they have problems with women. They are intense, like, toxic misogynist guys. Great. Um, Manx is, is dressed up in this kind of, like, foppish 1930s character who seems to be immortal because he's feeding off the souls of children. Mm-hmm. Um, Bing is, like, a 40-something-year-old simpleton. And, like, that isn't a trope I'd love, Um. It's used to decent effect here, and I think for the most part, he'll like eschews it being like too gross. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is recruited to, uh, use like this dental gas from a chemical plant he works at, mm-hmm. uh, to like put kids to sleep. It smells like gingerbread, Andrew. Thematic.
0: That's, yeah, that's cool.
1: Um, and bing really wants to go to christmas land because i guess he was abused as a kid and so he never really recovered from it he may or may not have killed his parents and he answers an ad in like a bra magazine called spicy menace um (laughs) joe hill is a really good penchant for naming things Mm -hmm. um and he gets picked up by charles manx and recruited and says, hey, you're going to help me save these kids. You're going to help me save 10 kids, and then you can go to Christmasland forever too, um, which just sounds wonderful to Bing because he can't handle the real world. Right. Um, so they're th- the trope of like, well, we're going to save these kids from their parents who are only going to disappoint them and hurt them and let them go off into the real world, that sucks. Um,
0: well, and then he's also... He's he is brought into his employ this person who is is an adult in body but maybe more of a child in in mind. Like, is yes, that the intent? Correct.
1: Okay. Like being.
0: Uh, and I know that's that's part of what we don't like about this character trope so much. But that's what
1: I don't love about the character trope. What's still surprising is, uh, Hill finds ways to play their relationship for like a, a kind of a gallows slapstick humor, um. Okay where Manx is always kind of berating him for messing up and Bing is just doing these terrible things, but sometimes like kind of stumbling over his own feet Um, and usually in service of him being like too overeager or too invested in this terrible like enterprise. Sure. Um, To the point where at one point he's like trying to shoot a gun at someone and he accidentally shoots Manx in the ear instead and Manx is like you dumbbell shoot the other person like it's really like <laughs> and then
0: and then you just hear the laugh track yep, somehow it's like really... that, that that page of the book is like those those birthday cards that let you record a message or something and it's just a, a audience laugh track
1: yep it's pretty good um, yeah so they're kind of like a slapstick duo also committing terrible atrocities
0: right they're like kidnapping kids but it's funny.
1: Yeah, and it's fun. I don't. I don't Everyone's think, having
0: fun. I don't think Hill is so,
1: is intending for you to just be like just take it at laugh value, right? He well, is, and
0: it it, I, it sounds like he's using that like slapsticky humor to to heighten the badness of yes, it in yes. some ways. Mm-hmm, okay.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so Vic gets mixed up with them after her parent. We do a little time jump with her. Her parents have split up. Um, her dad has hit her mom at least once great good her mom has never really recovered from her issues that she had in the first place um she gets in a big fight with her mom and then like just rides off on her bike um at this point she knows that manx exists because maggie told her about him but in a like don't ever find him in a like I shouldn't have told you about this guy sort of way. Sure. Uh-huh. So Vic is like, nah, you know what? Life sucks. I am going to go find this guy because I'm going to show my mom what happens when I get into trouble or whatever. Well, she goes over the bridge and ends up uh, in Colorado where Manx's headquarters, the sleigh house is, Andrew, a double pun <laughs> of playhouse and Santa's
0: sleigh. And maybe the <laughs> words and also, like, slaying? Yes, like, killing? And, yeah,
1: it's sort of, I guess, a triple pun, if you want. Triple threat, oh, yeah. Um, and she sees a kid in the back of his Rolls Royce in the garage, and she goes in to try and save him. And he's got these creepy fishhook teeth, and he's drained of all color. And when he grabs her by the arm, it's like that kind of cold that burns you. Yeah. Um, And she tries to get away from him. She has to run away from Manx. Manx tries to burn the house down to trap her in it. She does escape. um, And she gets hooked up with this guy, Lou Carmody, who uh, is riding by on a motorcycle. And she's like, help. (laughs) Like, literally, she just, like, runs into the road and is like, you got to help me. There's a crazy guy out there. Um, And there's this big climactic gas station fight scene where... um, They do capture Manx. Um, She has to explain to the cops that he like abducted her and took her across state lines or whatever, which is totally not true Um, Mm -hmm. because she at this point only believes that the bridge exists when she's using it, but her brain has started attempting to reconcile it with reality that maybe it's not real. Maybe it's like visions or hallucinations or bad dreams um, because it, actually hurts to think about and doesn't quite make sense Um, okay so after she is with uh after they capture manx and he is put in jail and then later goes into a coma because he can't feed on kids to stay alive
0: um we (laughs) (laughs) we've all been there man
1: uh we do a time jump to 2001 i think first and she's had a kid with Lou. She's living with him. She's gone through some therapy that has kind of attempted to convince her that the bridge is not real, um, and that Manx like you know assaulted her and captured her and stuff, which is mm-hmm. not coming up
0: with with mundane explanations. explanations for the things that have happened. Yes, okay. yes.
1: Um, and she starts having like what she isn't sure or not are hallucinations where kids from Christmas Land call her on the phone and complain that she took Manx away from them and that she's a bad mom for not letting her son, Wayne, come to (laughs) Christmasland. And she slowly starts to lose her mind because this is, you know, too much and she doesn't really understand it. Sure. Um, And that ultimately leads to her and Lou, like... Falling out when she tries to burn all the phones in their house in the oven, and burns their house down. Um, not, not ideal. Not sounds ideal. Like. No. Uh-huh. Um, and we do another time jump where she is trying to reconnect with Wayne over a over a long summer um, after her mom has passed, and she's living in her mom's house back in New England because it's a Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and. Manx is back. He, he dies briefly and he comes back to life.
0: Right, because he's a Dracula.
1: Well, not just because he's a Dracula, also because he's a Voldemort, sort of. So after. You
0: could he, be a Dracula and a Voldemort. So
1: imagine this, Andrew. You're like a guy. Dual,
0: like dual classing.
1: <laughs> he's a level 10 Dracula and a level 15 Voldemort. Whoa. um, When he gets arrested, they take his fancy magic car right mm-hmm. they impound it with the fbi and then they, and then sell, they it. sell
0: it at a police auction yes. yes
1: and then a dude in indiana buys it and refurbishes it but that means taking it all the way apart and for the period of time where he has taken the engine out of the car manx mm-hmm. dies
0: oh no <laughs> okay so he's tied explicitly to his car yes so if you ever got a fender bender Manx's like wrist would break or something. Possibly,
1: possibly. Okay,
0: With, I'm not sure how that how goes on. Close unexplored. the bond yes. between between being and car is. is
1: um, meant to be taken, but yeah. then the guy puts it ba- all back together. Manx comes back to life, finds Bing part Bing Partridge again. Is that his name? Yeah, I those are know. those are two Christmas things: Bing Crosby mm-hmm. and Partridge in a Pear Tree. That mm-hmm. sounds like his name. Sure. Um, and he sets out on a mission to get uh Victoria Vic um get revenge on her because he almost killed her and or she almost killed him and took him away from Christmas land and he's gonna take her son to Christmas land. Um and that's like the big conflict for the second like an, the explicit conflict for the second half of the book. <laughs> Notice how we're only halfway through the book and I won't yeah, no, go, I've noticed. I won't go beat by beat through the rest because at this after that it kind of shifts to a pretty straightforward like he gets her kid and starts trying to take him to Christmas land. She has to defeat Bing, um, convince the cops that she is not crazy or run away from them, um, mm. reconnect with her dad, try to salvage her relationship with Lou, um, ultimately ends up using a sick motorcycle to use the bridge again, um, and then like attempt to defeat... Uh, Manx in Christmasland, which is wild.
0: Okay, that sounds complicated.
1: <laughs> it's yeah, and it takes a while. Um, and there's like there's sections that are more actiony than others. I think this the scenes that are outright action and, and violence, and to some extent horror at times play pretty well because Hill is not doing like torture porn stuff. Like as reprehensible as these people are most of the most of the worst stuff that they do is off screen. Like Bing is um when they are taking the kids to Christmas land, he has like awful free reign to do what he wants with the parents, which usually involves like dissolving their bodies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um But that happens all off screen Um or off page or whatever noun, whatever
0: thing you want to use. Yeah. So that torture porn thing is, is interesting because it's, uh it's something that, that, Hill brought up in that interview that we referenced earlier, the one he did with the, the uh, AV club, yes, yes. I think in, in 2013. Um, and he's, I'll just read the, the, the quote from him directly. And you can tell me how it fits into the story. Um, I've always detested when horror in the late nineties turned into torture porn into stuff that was cheerfully getting off on shoving someone moderately unlikable or on shoving moderately unlikable protagonists into degrading situations that would end in the most violent way you could imagine. I assume he's talking about what, like the Nose You Did Last Summer Yes or or the Um Screen. What's that one? What's that well, one where they like see their future death briefly and then oh, they die it? At... Um Final
1: Destination. It's Yeah, yeah it's, there you go. It's Final Destination, it's Saw, it's those hostile movies. Oh Jesus. Um, yeah. Where the, like, there isn't even really a protagonist. There's, like, the villain that you care about. You just get a bunch
0: of, like, horny teens (laughs) who you don't care about. And then they all, one by one, are picked off by this villain who ultimately is the person who lasts through the entire franchise yes. if there is a franchise and I'm I'm not um, a, I've always thought I, uh, oh, this is not me again this is hill again <laughs> I've always thought those situations failed at accomplishing the aims of horror because successful horror is all about empathy you have to really care about that lead character and root for her to feel like she has a soul worth rooting for and then when she's in trouble you go through it with her
1: yes 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 so the the big fight scene that I will probably be thinking about a lot Whenever I think about this book is what I do, It's the moment where they capture her son Wayne. Um, they have staked out the house across the street and killed the family that lived there. Um, and they have they have him in the back of the Wraith, the Rolls Royce and the gas mask man, which is Bing. He wears this creepy gas mask so he doesn't get affected by the gingerbread medicine. Um, <laughs> he's in the car with Wayne and Manx has, when he escaped from the hospital that he literally died in, he took a silver hammer with him, Andrew, mm-hmm. like Maxwell's.
0: Yeah, and I hate that song. Yeah. Um, I truly hate that song. I know you Please do. don't at me.
1: <laughs> um, And he is y- using it to attempt to, to like just beat the crap out of Vic, and she has this biker jacket. Just
0: like the song Maxwell's Silver Hammer beats the crap out of your ears when you listen to it. <laughs>
1: Um, and she is wearing the God, biker. That
0: song is so stupid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is that a Ringo joint?
0: No, it's Paul. Is it really? Yeah, it's from the Obla la di ob da school of Ooh. Paul McCartney. It's very e- bad. Okay. Um, and he is
1: trying to beat her up with the silver hammer. Uh, and she's the wearing the Ringo. The oh Ringo song
0: from that album is Octopus's Garden, which is a classic. <laughs> kind of okay. <laughs> It's better than Maxwell's silver <laughs> hammer. <laughs> a ref, rip and piece our mentions.
1: Um, She is wearing this uh, cool biker jacket that her partner Lou gave her. I mean, they're estranged, but he still gave it to her. And it's got like Kevlar and stuff in it, I guess, to protect you from a fall. And so there's like a couple pages where she is just getting whacked with this hammer and like trying to endure it and trying to survive. And she gets like a couple good swipes in at Manx with like a, like a key wrench that she has in her pocket. And this is the scene where when she turns to run and Bing comes out to shoot her, he shoots Manx in the ear by mistake. Um, And just the, the tension of that sequence is really wonderful because the stakes are so clear. It's not about like her getting hurt for getting hurt's sake. Mm -hmm. It is all in service of like giving her continual obstacles to saving her son Um, and he is like attempting to do whatever he can inside of this magic car, which, which is its own freaking thing. Um, so like the horror in the book is often about like being trapped in these spaces that you do or do not have control over. How do they relate to your own consciousness or your own sense of self? Um, literally there's a scene where Wayne is inside the back of this car and uh, he does have an iPhone. I want to talk about iPhones for a second in a little bit. Sure. Um, and he got it into the car with him. Manx found it and put it in the glove compartment. And because Manx's car is a magical part of himself, he's made it so you can't get out of the back seat. If you climb over the front seat, you just wind up in the back seat again, in like <laughs> kind of like a creepy Beetlejuice way. Uh huh. And so there's this scene where. Wayne is like reaching forward to try to get his iPhone out of the glove compartment, mm-hmm. and his arm starts disappearing. He can feel it, but it's it's disappearing, and then it just starts coming out of the seat behind him, and he can like touch his own
0: back, like with that his. Actually, hand. sounds nice. You scratch your own back, give yourself a neck rub. Sh- sure. Yeah. No, I'm into it. Okay. Also, it, this wouldn't worked a few years later because he could have just leaned back in the seat and been like hey siri <laughs> help yeah that's true voice activation would have ruined the, the tension of this of this scene is what i'm saying yes but anyway he's giving himself a shoulder rub just really digging in there getting all the knots out
1: and it's it's a lot of like creepy moments like that that are very visual um that are very tied to like Characters actually trying to accomplish goals and not just having violence like wrought on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's how he eschews that kind of torture porny thing. Um, good use of the word eschews, thanks. by the way. I didn't episode. mean to use it like two or three times, but no, I, you, I know, I know need you to did. Make You're just count. like, good, nice <laughs> vocab word. Um, the whole thing about him taking these kids to Christmasland and his whole like belief system that, in in so much as he has one, um is twofold, I think it's interesting for two two reasons. One is that misogyny that I referenced earlier, which feels a little shallow for how much else the book has going on. Um, it's like he talks about I'm just gonna read some stuff that Manx says, Andrew and Please you just read it to, me. to it. okay. um he is Here I am. He is telling, he is telling Wayne like what he thinks he's saving uh him from all the happiest times of my life were times when i was free of the feminine influence when i didn't have to make accommodations men spend most of their lives being passed from woman to woman and being pressed into service for them you cannot imagine the life i have saved you from men cannot stop thinking about women and women are aware of this they take advantage of it They set terms, same as your mother sets terms before you come to dinner. If you don't clean your room, change your shirt, wash your hands, you aren't allowed to sit at the dinner table. Most men figure they are worth something if they can meet the terms a woman sets for them. It provides them with their sense of value. But when you take a woman out of the picture, a man can get a little quiet inside. When there's no one to bargain with except for yourself and other men, you can figure
0: yourself out. And then he calls everyone cucks. Probably it's are you are you reading are you are you reading me an entry from Nosferatu the Joe Hill book or are you on Reddit? I I know reading me a Reddit. Are you you reading me a Reddit right now?
1: It's pretty wild, and he's like this character who's who's supposed to be like 115 years old. So like, there's like a datedness to it on purpose in the sense that like there's like a traditional gender role thing he like well
0: and and maybe i, I guess it's this is still a couple years before like the the GamerGate yes. stuff and 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 the real i don't know like the the, the immediacy of of this particular like line of but, argument among ooh. young men but like i i assume that the datedness of it is meant to poke fun at the people who in the here and now think this kind of thing is i that think so accurate? and it's
1: and it's supposed to be menacing in a way too like he um he's not exclusively like taking boys to to christmas land or anything um but he does seem to have a uh not seem he has an explicitly dim view of women um and that all gets centered on vic and in the, in the action of the book i well, do so it- yeah, go ahead. I do think I though. Have a question. So the so the thing about Christmas land where he's taking them to a land where there's no pain and there's no sorrow and no one can disappoint you um I think that does kind of align with a sense of entitlement like an entitlement to um you know just being happy and carefree it's not a one to one but i do think it tracks a little bit with what manx is up to where he's well, like and I,
0: guess, and I guess a dude would associate that to to whatever extent with sexual maturity yes. and with with women and and like being frustrated by not being able to get what you want and then being lousy about it yeah yeah
1: so the Ugh. other things that um so it's like how can you avoid real suffering and pain and disappointment Um, That is the natural part of being alive and growing up. And how do you just like trap yourself in Christmas, which is childhood forever. Um, So at a couple points in this book, the real world intrudes and the real world, meaning like actual things that happen in history. Um, When Wayne is very young, we are first like being introduced to him. He's watching Sesame street on the TV and he says to Vic that something bad is happening to Oscar and she's like, what is happening? And it's 9-11. Like actually happening on the television, like cut away from Sesame Street. And then there's also a reference to um the guy who shot Gabby Giffords. Um oh, neat. And him whose
0: name I don't remember I... and I won't look up. Yep.
1: Um, and that he was a conspiracy theorist. And when we get into that, Vic is at that point kind of unpacking her own like sense of what reality is. She knows that the bridge exists. She knows that it works. She knows that Christmas land is real, but she also knows that it can't really be real. And she's not sure what to do with that. And she is worried that that is going to lend herself to the kind of like conspiracy theorists stuff that just breeds that sense of violence and that sense of like, how dare the world intrude on me? Um, Because if this, if an inscape, if the thing like the bridge or Christmas land or, the bag with the Scrabble tiles is like your inner world. That is an essence of yourself. Um, the, the bad version of that is like weaponizing that and using it to protect yourself from the world around you. Okay. Um, which I think is what Manx is doing. And he just happens to need to suck the life out of kids so that he can keep doing it.
0: I think um, we've missed an opportunity to call him the Christmas creep. <laughs> he is
1: the Christmas creep. <laughs> That's true. um, And so, yeah, that's that's I was wondering when I was reading the book, like why there's just these couple of touchstones from the real world. And I think it's because like. People are supposed to grow up. Bad things are supposed to happen. Um, That's okay. It's you don't have control over it. And like this book is about people trying to exert their will on the world and and how that can go badly okay um let's talk about magic iphones real quick andrew because this
0: digital okay so before we talk about magic iphones i did want to want to ask you because we we got into it a little bit with some of the like red pill y Mm -hmm. language that Mm -hmm. that is being used but how does because so so a male author writing a female protagonist can feel bad Sometimes, sure. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. How does that feel? Because reading Hill talking in this this AV Club interview, it does sound like he tried really hard to be like thoughtful about, about the portrayal yes. of Vic here. But I would I don't know. S- How does it, how's it feel when you're reading it? As a dude reading it, it feels better than p-
1: plenty of other books. Um, okay, cool. Vic is singular in herself. I think she... Uh, you encounter her at such different ages, but they do all feel like the same person. Um, She really wants to connect. She's someone who has trouble connecting and maintaining relationships, which is like relevant to what is happening to her in the book, but also then just becomes a personality trait. And so more than anything else, she is just someone who's trying to hold it together, which almost I think anyone can identify with in some way. Uh Sure. Um, and she really loves Lou and she loves her kid but she doesn't really know how to act on those feelings um it doesn't feel like it you know is over-sexualizing her or really playing into too many female protagonist tropes that that are harmful i don't think um sure. but if any and if any of our readers have comments on that i would certainly love to to hear that um okay yeah it feels like she she's like a like a biker chick but not like, <laughs> but not in any sort of stereotype not like way in a, not this. like in a cool girl way, no, she's like she's kind of a punk, and she's kind of a wastoid and a at time like nineties kids, yeah, we'll she's get, a nineties we, we'll kid we'll in a way that yeah. feels very authentic because i mm-hmm. I can Joe was probably like what well, he would have just been in his twenties in the nineties, I think, um. So it seems like he's he's drawing on on real material. One of that
0: there. one of them Gen X archetypes. Yes, yes.
1: Um, so the thing I was not prepared for in the the modern world of this book was just a little moment of digital haunting, and this will this will take us out. I think this is the iPhone thing. Yes. So, like I said, Wayne gets kidnapped. He gets taken into uh, the wraith with uh, the Christmas creep. <laughs> and he has his iPhone with him. He does manage to quickly call his dad, which is how Lou gets roped back into the rest of the plot. And uh, he ha- he has his iPhone in the car. And when the cops finally show up and the FBI is working to figure out whether or not Vic is like telling the truth that this man who's supposed to be dead stole her son. And she has a history of what has been diagnosed as mental illness. So they think that she might've just like killed her kid. Of course, and kind of broken from reality. Great. They run find my iPhone on the kid's iPhone, Andrew, mm-hmm. and instead of seeing a normal like Google Map or Apple Map, which is inferior to Google Maps, they see uh, the Saint Nick Parkway, and they see like a mushed up United States that's labeled the United Inscapes of America. And Cape Cod is the size of Florida, and the Rockies are humongous. And there's all sorts... And this is where he has all the references to, like, other books of his or uh, references to Pennywise and to, like, Lovecraft and stuff. And it's a map of these creepy mind places that exist in the world. Yeah, Google's just
0: sending <laughs> cars everywhere
1: these days, huh? It was like It's like when... Google does like a Pac-Man day and all of a sudden you can just like drive Pac-Man on Google Maps or something. Mm, Or the
0: Santa tracker. Or the Santa tracker. Um, That's appropriate because Christmas, the Christmas thing.
1: Yes. And I just don't know, like, I'm not as well versed in modern horror movies that maybe have existed like post-social media. I feel like there are a couple that have come out that are like, if you get unfriended, you die or something. Like, I don't really know (laughs) how... God, the only
0: thing I can think of right now is that that show on I think CBS where God friends somebody That's on not Facebook and then helps show, him though. solve mysteries. No, but it's it's a what's the horror version of the show God friended me is the question I'm asking. <laughs> I guess
1: it's called God unfriended me. That'd be horrible.
0: Ooh, Ooh,
1: God blocked me is what it would be actually. God swiped right <laughs> on me. Um. Yeah, that was just a fun little nugget that they actually never come back to, uh. But just alludes to the larger weirdness of the universe. Um. And in a couple interviews, Hill has kind of said that he's really likes this inscape idea, and he isn't meaning to like make an explicit like Stephen King Jr. verse. He's kind of doing it as a goof and a lark. Um. But it does unify his approach to like kind of character-based magical horror stuff okay um, i do
0: think th- throwing a throwing a casual link in there without building it up or, or like making it really like internally fictionally consistent and reliable is very king-esque because because m- many of king's books reuse characters or thematic elements or locations to create a sense of continuity without ever getting explicitly serialized yes you've got like you've got a lot of stuff that references Derry, Maine you've got a lot of you know small references to to like the it stuff that that happens in in different books and yeah it's 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 there as kind of an Easter egg for the reader, but it's not so much meant to build up this internally consistent universe that then. King goes back to and makes sure to to like <laughs> yes. reference again in, in future books. Yeah, that's true. It's not a, it's not you don't get a like a King cinematic universe <laughs> effect. God, it's I just kind not. of it's just kind of everybody having fun. It is. And rewarding longtime readers by like being like, "Oh, hey, did you see the thing?"
1: Yeah, and and this book too is interested in referencing all sorts of different cultural material, so like Lou uh Wayne's dad is like a huge comic book fan. And so there's lots of like little Comic book nerd references and, like, uh, you know, jokes about Firefly and stuff. Yeah, that is getting in
0: some Ready Player One stuff. Well, that's
1: what I love. It's more, it, it is in conversation <laughs> with, um, like, the fact that the whole culmination of the horror plot it, it takes place in a man's fictional Christmas universe where, like, he's remixing this idea of perennial happiness and joy. Um, and also, all of these characters having like totems like I think the the kind of nerd culture thing plays into that pretty well of like he's got this car that's like a literal part of himself. She's got this bike that allows her to do cool stuff that she's like woven into her her identity. So the the things that make you what you are is a big part of like the way the plot moves and to have the book reference all of these little like character like interests. And also reference like Joe Hill's own like little literary lineage is kind of neat because that's like I guess like part of his inscape in a way. Um, Mm. yeah, it's fun. It doesn't I don't it does it never distracts when he's doing those references. It's more just like, oh that oh yeah, this is in our real world, which makes it weirder when he goes into the creepy vampire Christmas world. Sure.
0: And that's something that King does pretty extensively is is starts with a more realistic or mundane setting and then builds to the, the weirdness and the supernaturalness. And it just heightens that contrast between the two of them.
1: Yeah. It's, it's good. And it has a, it has a good little satisfying epilogue um, that kind of closes the book on, on Wayne, uh, which is good. Um, The, the ending action sequence is a little nuts and i don't okay it's just a little over the top uh and i would be very interested to see how amc pulls that one off my (laughs) friends um but yeah that's the book okay i was i was unnerved many times if if folks are wondering if it's like a spooky book i was reading it late at night and there were times where i had stuff i couldn't get out of my head it wasn't like Mm -hmm. like Oh God, because it's a book, I can put it down. But it was stuff for I'm
0: us. I'm gonna be thinking about recursive back massages, mm. like self-back rubs <laughs> for a long time.
1: Yeah, that's, everyone should. Everyone should figure out how to do it. Yeah. Um if you have figured out how to do the recursive back rub and you wanna tell us where we can learn, um send us an email at overdupod at gmail.com um or hit us up online using twitter.com slash OverduePod or facebook.com slash OverduePod. Thanks to folks reaching out to us this week, including Derek, uh, Humana, Danielle, Brie, Marie, Jill, Tom, Gloria, um, Natalie, Kelly, and Craig are three folks who reached out specifically in response to Orson Scott Card and Mormonism and... Not it's not a monolith, and we did we did have
0: several we had several people be like, hey, like not all not all Mormons in some very in some very
1: fair helpful like educational ways, um,
0: right? And I think I think that many most religions contain multiple interpretations or multiple viewpoints, and so I don't I don't think we ever explicitly said you know card believes what all mormons believe but we did it you know it we we should say that explicitly now yes because we didn't say it before yeah that's that's not true (laughs) like he is he is he also happens to be an older straight white fella and that comes with its own baggage i think regardless of your of your faith
1: yeah um andrew if folks want to know more about the show where should they go
0: They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is an internet website up there. We have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, RSS, our Patreon page, patreon.com slash OverduePod. Um, uh, Our HeadGum, our podcast network. Haven't mentioned them in a while. Thanks to them for all they do. Um, And then I wanted to highlight – we don't have a link up there now, though. I keep intending to add one to our Goodreads group, which I – periodically forget exist but then i go and people are having really interesting conversations so search for overdue on goodreads and um you know go go join the join the conversation just see what people are talking about yeah throw your own voice in the mix yeah uh next week we are well i am reading something that i'm not going to tell you what it is we have it listed on the schedule as like a what like secret mystery book yep And people are making a lot of guesses and nobody has come anywhere close yet. So keep guessing and I wonder if anyone gets there but I bet you don't.
1: The rest of our March schedule I'm trying to find it because
0: it's I've got it. You you... got it? Uh, March 18th Craig will be reading Breakfast at Tiffany's by Truman Capote and I assume we'll be talking about the song a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then March 25th I'll be reading Columbus Day by Craig Allenson and then by the end of the month Got another bonus episode, um, in our Stop Homer Time Odyssey on the book The Odyssey. Uh, that'll cover books books twenty and twenty three. We're coming in on the end of it, and we're planning some other fun stuff to, to end that and then to follow it up with with another thing. So, uh, cool. Yeah, that's that. You good. All right, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And until we talk to you next time, I try to be happy.